Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Awesome. So, uh... Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am stoked to have Nikki Jabala on today. Uh, I don't know if you know this, and it's totally okay if you don't. Uh, I was actually an intern on the sports show with Woody Page back in the summer before 2015, like that season. And I actually really? got you I actually got you coffee once. And it's actually one of the <laughs> founding achievements of mine, like as an intern in journalism. Because um, I, I actually, yeah, I got to bump shoulders with people like you. It was awesome. It it was really cool. Um, that's honestly. One I of the hope I wasn't I like. Was I a jerk? Can I ask you to get coffee? Oh my no. god. No, 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 no. It wasn't. Okay. No, it wasn't anything like that. Um, but no. Uh, again, not to. This, the whole thing was, I got offered a chance to go to Denver. Um, mm-hmm. I was looking at different internships the summer before my last year in undergrad, and Woody reached out to me. He was like, "Hey, if you want to come out to our show, you can be an intern for me and like see what you do." Uh, and so a lot of what I did, I did, con- I did like content stuff like that, but. During the actual show, yeah, I was the coffee guy, and at one nice. point, at one point, yeah, Woody and Les sent me to get coffee, and you were the guest, so I got you coffee as well. So solid, yeah. Thanks. I will. I'm sure I, it was a great cup of coffee. It's on my resume, so I'm just. I mean, yeah. I drink a lot of it, so I'm sure it was great. But I am, I am beyond stoked to have you. Um, I know you're not anymore in the Denver market. You are now with the Washington Post. So again, this for me, this is a big deal. So I, again, I really appreciate your time. I want to be cognizant of your time. But Peyton Manning's being the Hall of Fame, and like obviously that's kind of stirring up the whole like Super Bowl Fifty, like it's about to happen. Like everybody is, 
it's a pretty happy time in Broncos country. So it's, it's awesome. A lot of nostalgia uh, about the good old times. Yeah. And it, and it, as they kind of get farther and farther away, that nostalgia is just like, it's kind of what's keeping me going. But I understand. It's been a rough few years, but a little bit. But what was, I mean, because you, you came to Denver basically right before the run. Yeah. So I came in 2014. This yeah. summer, I think you were interning, right? Yep. Yeah. So I came on actually as a, a producer, like the digital sports producer. And I just kind of started writing a bit more just because I know we needed more content at the time. And they asked me to help out at training camp um that year and they they just kind of let me help out um but i was kind of i was kind of like the third wheel with mike cliss and in troy rank but it was awesome i mean that was my first year and you know to cover that team and to cover a super bowl team and it was amazing um so yeah the 2015 was my first full-time year on the beat so 2014 i was the third wheel and then mike cliss left for nine news right yeah he was first and then i got bumped out i was number two at troy rank in 2015. um so yeah that year was amazing um the super bowl was just unbelievable actually my favorite game wasn't even the super bowl um it was what? the afc championship me too uh, me too yeah i that was a heck of a game on like the whole for me the, the playoff run itself and again like this is from my perspective on the outside I thought that the Broncos didn't have a real chance at the Super Bowl, like because like I thought Peyton was falling off, and so like when they ran into the Steelers, I was like, oh no! Until like Bell was out, Brown was out, then I was like, they have a chance. And then the Patriots just looked like this insurmountable monster because they were so good, and the defense just—I mean, the defense was insane. Um, so yeah, I by think, that, they, I think in the initial game book they hit them twenty times, but in the in the revised game book, I think it was down to like seventeen or something, which is still bonkers mm -hmm. that they hit Tom Brady 17 times. Um, but I, I, my favorite play. I was going to say, yeah, what stands out about that game to you and the, and the was, season? Yeah, it was Von Miller's interception because he was, I mean, it was, it was quintessential Von Miller. He was actually go, doing the wrong thing and he was able to um, turn around and regroup in time. Like he literally turned 180 um to see what tom brady was doing and picked him off i mean it just spoke to von miller's athleticism and the way he was able to pick up on reads and everything so it was it was crazy von miller had just wild season that 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 like playoff run from von is like and i've i i've closely followed the broncos dating back to 2003 for me that run in the playoffs is probably the most dominant stretch from a defensive player i've ever seen um on the broncos and so, yeah, like that, that play was like when I thought it could happen. Yeah. And that then you just defense hold on to was just, they were, they were just so complete and they were deep too. I remember like, so last year I, I talked to the guys when I was still at the athletic, I, I talked to a lot of the defensive guys just to um, do a five-year anniversary piece before I left. Um, and we were just talking about how deep they were too. I think a lot of people forget that. Like they had so many elite players that weren't even officially starters. I mean, Roby was unofficially a starter as that third corner, but I mean, they were deep, like, mm -hmm. and they were just so talented across the board. Like that line was, the guys they had on the line were perfect in that scheme. You got the edge rushers in Vaughn and DeMarcus, which were four deep really with Shane and uh, Shaq Barrett. 
Uh, you got your inside guys with Brandon Marshall and Danny Trevathan, who were like the perfect pairing because they complemented each other so well. And then that secondary, I mean, they were just lights out. Um, you know, they it was just flawless communication to the point where they didn't even need to communicate on the field. They just knew each other so well. Um, they knew how one another was going to react and they, they could just go off tails. I mean, I, I still think Akeem Tlaib, and he still gets snubbed for a, like a lot of Hall of Fame stuff, and he shouldn't. Uh, yeah, and, and, and he's yeah, he's um, he was unbelievable. Well, and and like for me, I think the fact that Talib played for multiple franchises in this aspect hurts him. But you look at what he did; like he was really, really great with the Patriots. He ended up going to the Broncos, and obviously, he made a huge difference for them. And then he was really good with the the Rams. Like I yeah. would say that that like to me, and the touchdowns, like the the interception returns for touchdowns, like that speaks for itself. Um, but no, like I, I, I thought about this, uh, cause when I started covering the Broncos for mile high report was, you know, already long past it, but like, we still held up Todd Davis as he was a player from the Super Bowl era. And it was like, Todd Davis was a backup and a special teamer during that run. So like, and again, that's not to, you know, knock on him, but they were, they had talent up and down the board on defense. And I think that helped. Cause like then if they had issues or they had injuries or had anything like that, they were still able to hold on. Yeah. Uh, the offense gets a lot of the pub and obviously with Manning making the hall of fame, like that's going to be probably a, a lot of what's talked about over the weekend, but they carried him like in a lot of ways. And I don't mean that. And like, as a, again, Peyton Manning's one of the best, I think he's the best quarterback of all time. I'm probably biased there, but, but I think what separates him in that run is like his arm was failing him by the time that they were making the playoff run. Like he had come back from the injury, but what really made the difference in my mind between him and Brock Osweiler was the fact that like he was able to audible at the line He's able to control the protection, stuff like that. But what was it like kind of like seeing it up close? Because again, like I thought like Kubiak had to manage that situation. The whole team had to deal with the fact that like Peyton wasn't like necessarily Peyton anymore. Yeah. I mean, I thought what Kubiak did was remarkable. He was willing to do what, you know, most other coaches wouldn't do. And that's force Peyton Manning to sit. Um, and that was a wild game. That was that Kansas City game um, where he had a he, – he broke um, – Brett Favre's record in the first quarter, then threw like five picks and had a zero passer rating by the time he was benched in the third quarter. It was it was unbelievable. But that whole season, it was it was tense every time he dropped back because you're so worried he was gonna throw a pick. And like his 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 arm strength, I mean, that was diminished ever since the surgery yeah. and it wasn't like terribly awesome before, but it was more that, you know, that his foot injury, he had a rib injury. He might've had another one that they didn't fully disclose, but he was just so banged up that he, he couldn't plant his foot. He couldn't fully twist. I mean, everything that you need to throw a football, he couldn't fully do. So while he could, he still was smarter than any player on the field. He was able to mask a lot of the deficiencies of the offensive line because that group I remember they hadn't played a single snap together before week one because Evan Mathis signed late and it was just, it was a piecemeal group the entire time. They were trying to compensate for injuries. I, I think they had like three or four different starting right tackles. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was amazing. They held it together. I mean, Ryan Harris was, you know, signed off the couch. Um, Tyler Columbus was, you know, about to retire really and he came back for one last run um evan mathis had never played with these guys wasn't really in training camp I mean, it was 
it was wild what they were able to do with that group. And, you know, a lot of that is on Peyton Manning. You know, these everybody remembers just like he had a terrible year personally and how it, it looked like it just wasn't Peyton. But if it were any other quarterback back there, it would have been awful, awful. Like the defense wouldn't be able to compensate. Well, and that for me is why by the time Brock Osweiler was benched for Peyton, I thought it was the right mm-hmm. choice, even though Peyton and, and I didn't think I thought it was the best of two bad choices in a lot of ways, just because again, like Peyton when he was with the Broncos, basically he had to be in a perfect situation, set up to pass, that kind of thing, to like really be Peyton. He couldn't make plays out of structure anymore. And that's what mm-hmm. I think the injuries really just sapped him of. He couldn't even he couldn't even place his foot. Like he couldn't do the things yeah. in the pocket that he was doing up till then. But like by the time Osweiler was benched, like it was pretty clear that he wasn't able to hide the issues on the line anymore. And so the running game was like, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. If teams knew how to take it away, all of a sudden Osweiler was struggling. And so when Peyton was taken off the bench, it was kind of like the magical moment of like, we might have a chance again. Yeah. But, but like that had to be tense in the locker room. Cause again, like everyone remembers us doing the whole like shrug. But like in the locker room, having to deal with that, like that, that, that had to, that had to be difficult, I think for Kubiak to deal with, for all the players to deal with. And again, it's Peyton Manning, but at the same time, like they had had success with Osweiler. Um, yeah. I, but like, you know, like you said, normal in Denver too. It's Peyton Manning. Like yeah. you're there to fill in until he's healthy enough to go. And he was healthy enough to go. So there's no, I mean, if it were anybody else, maybe Brock Osweiler would have like some sort of argument. It's Peyton Manning. Like there's, you're not going to replace him. Like he is, you know, he, he, he was the backup until Peyton was healthy. So like, I, I'm sure he was upset at the time, but in my mind, no reason to be, you know? Yeah. Uh, so then around the Super Bowl, cause Denver obviously hasn't made a Super Bowl yet, like since, and Washington hasn't made a Super Bowl yet. So like, that was like the big Super Bowl you got to cover. How was that? Like that had to be cool. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I dropped from there. Yeah, but, but but I just mean like it's but that's a dream come true though. Like as a as a sports writer to get to cover a Super Bowl like up close to the team, you're it had to be cool. Yeah, that was it was really cool. Yeah, I feel like I was spoiled in my first you know full time years the beat writer. Um, it was more the locker room though, like that that group of guys. I feel like you know the, the winning helps. You know yeah. they're more interested in talking to you. They're more you know thing. Everybody's happy when you win, right? But that collection of personalities, the secondary especially, um, they were just so fun to cover. Like, every single day was fun. Um, you know, and and every game was fun to cover. Um, you know, it was certainly stressful for us on deadline because they came down to the wire on so many games. I think it was like 11 games or something that were, you know, within a single score, right? Um so that was that was tense for us, <laughs> um, trying to file these you know ciders and game stories on time. Um, but it was just an awesome year. It was just so much fun to cover, um, and it was just so many unexpected events. You know, like with with Peyton Manning getting benched and then coming back. You know, even I guess you, a lot of people saw Kubiak coming back, but to do what he did in in his first year back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was really cool. And I didn't expect them to fall off quite as quickly as they did, but yeah. you lose a guy like Peyton Manning, it's yeah, you're gonna struggle. I didn't think I thought they would be able to find their franchise quarterback a little faster than they have, but well 
and so that and so and again not to not to not to turn from fun to like kind of the disaster sense but like mm -hmm. i think you you saw that up close too so i have to ask you mm -hmm. about that i mean what was it like colin kaepernick gets thrown around and, and like i'm not trying to get into and again personally i agree with everything he did I'm not mm -hmm. gonna, for our listeners' sake, I'm not gonna try and push that just because some people may not disagree. You know, on the field right. though, I thought he was the perfect fit for Kubiak's offense. I thought his mobility yeah, I, was gonna open up the rollout game, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm sure a lot of the players probably thought so too. So then to go from him when you could have had like at least a playoff window with the no fly zone to a rookie yeah. and kind of restarting a rookie jumping from Memphis, like how is that? Like that feels like it might have been that might have been a little rough. I think in the locker room. Uh, it wasn't great, but again, when you're losing and losing that badly, yeah. it's never going to be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they did want Colin Kaepernick. I'm hesitant to say they really wanted them because, you know, the pay cut part. Yeah. And you know, John Elway has said, Oh, I offered him a deal. No, you offered to have him slash $7 million off his salary. I would not agree to that. And it wasn't even for a guaranteed starting job, though there's nobody he would have trouble beating out. It was take a massive pay cut for the chance to compete. When he's guaranteed, you know, he'll be guaranteed his full salary in a, in a few days. Like nobody in their right mind would agree to that. Nobody. Like it was nothing was guaranteed for him to be like the guy coming in. Like it's just ridiculous. That um, to me was Elway sipping his Kool-Aid of, hey, I just gave Peyton Manning a Super Bowl and made him pay, pay cut, so why can't you? Like that, right. that, that, and, that's, and, and that, that's a feeling. Time. Like, you know, once you ask Peyton Manning to take a pay cut, you know, all bets are off, you know? They they restructured DeMarcus Ware's contract. and But, you know, this this is a different circumstance. Like, they... You know, he was under contract at the time. They didn't offer him a new contract. They offered him to slash his pay and compete for the starting job. And I, I don't know how they would make up for that salary if they were asking the 49ers to try to compensate some too or what. Um, but, you know, it wasn't a, a true offer. Um, so, yeah, to, to go from that to Trevor Simeon, who I think a lot of people overlooked, A, because he was – he was used on a seventh round compensatory pick and he was hurt at the time. And he's coming from Northwestern who, you know, not exactly known for putting out, you know, great QBs, but he was, he was a smart kid and he did, he spent a year just watching Peyton Manning. And I, and I think that counts for a lot. It did for him, certainly. Um, and then the draft selection of Paxton is just mind boggling on so many levels. It is. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but the day he he was introduced, we asked him, um, you know, what was the interview process like? How much did they quiz you? And he flat out said, you know, they didn't really ask me any football questions. You know, they just assumed I knew. And I was like, oh, dear. Not great. <laughs> Not great. Uh, at the time, I was kind of following the draft more as like a cat. Like, I was a fan, just kind of keeping up with it. I wasn't really doing any writing about it. And I remember reading one of the comparisons for Paxton Lynch as Joe Flacco and watching some, a little bit of tape. And I was thinking, I was like, if he, if that's the ceiling, this is a bad pick. And I, and I don't mean that as disrespect, but it was like, yeah. And then seeing the intro, I was like, and then I, it, it up to that it. whole class was, or maybe it was a class a couple of years after, but there was a stretch there where it felt like they weren't really vetting guys. Like, yep. 
Paxton is a very nice kid. This is no disrespect. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I think if they really vetted him and some of the other guys, you would tell that, you know, maybe they're not the right fit for what they needed at the time. Um, and it didn't quite feel like they did. It feels like their, their draft approach kind of went off course there for a bit. And only in the last couple of years have they really gotten back on course and trying to find, you know, more complete players who are captains and leaders off the field, but also really skilled football players and not just, you know, good athletes. Because everybody in the NFL is a good athlete, you know? So, yeah. So in the years since then, uh, do you have any fun stories or anybody like really sticks out that you got to cover kind of like since then, like in like around the Broncos? Because Again, you got, to, you got to talk to all the players. You got to meet a lot of the players. Like, yeah. Like, um, again, like from my perspective, it's like you always – there's players you love. Like, I love Cortland Sutton on the field. I've never talked mm-hmm. to him. I have no idea what he's like beyond, like, what I've seen in interviews. But you've probably seen him in a locker room and actually can say, like, oh, yeah, I remember Cortland did, you know. So Yeah, Cortland doesn't really care for many interviews. Um, at least he didn't when I was there. Um, very nice kid, though. You know, just um, – I'm trying to think. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's, it was a lot different covering, you know, the Super Bowl team yeah. versus oh, yeah. other years. And, and especially with Peyton there, too, it's almost like covering two teams um, because you have all the press for Peyton and then all the press for everybody else. Like the scrums for Peyton, I mean, you, you it was like being crushed by sardines, especially during the playoff run, because you would get a lot of national media that would come out. Um, and it was, there were just so many people trying to get to him. Um, but he, he was, he was hilarious. I mean, we all, we all see how he is in, in front of media. Um, but he would always have his routine or, you know, some way to deflect the questioning. It was masterful because it was like a very charming way of not, answering any of our questions you know it was yeah so it was it was fun covering him it was fun to see him work i always like um seeing how these guys work in practice or or seeing like their pregame workouts you know what are they doing to get ready for the games why are they running those routes why do the kickers go through their very specific routine from hash mark to hash mark i'm fascinated by that stuff because it's all it's all very calculated and typically always the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always enjoyed that. And, you know, Peyton was very cognizant of where the cameras were at all times. So we have a very fun photo of him going like, 
just looking at us on the on the sideline like why are these idiots over here right now like trying to you know watch what we're doing um as if we're gonna you know send this right over to you know bill belichick new england yeah um that, that paranoia is always something that always fascinates me yeah and some yeah. Of it, i think it's, i get that some of it's warranted but some of it is really funny uh back when i was i was with uh at my university at one point i was working for the newspaper because i was a journalism student and then I actually had the opportunity to work as a filmer for the like the football team. And they had a huge issue. And I had to like sign off on a bunch of forms that I wasn't going to report anything that they did to the school newspaper. And, that, and that's, that and I mean, that kills me is like, you know, I, I know they so. assume that like every scout, everybody is looking, you know, through all the media reports and everything, looking for some sort of competitive advantage. But when you're ranked 32 out of 32 on special teams and you're worried about us watching special teams, come on. Like it's, it's ridiculous. A little bit. Um, as if we're going to, you know, send tips of what you're doing because it's working so well over to other teams, you know, that's, yeah. that stuff kills me. Um, but you know, it's their show. They can do whatever they want. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, I have two more things. I, again, I'm trying to be cognizant of your time. Alex Smith might be available. I've heard that. And I know I don't know how much you can talk about that. But, again, the Broncos are in a situation where basically anybody who started games for them could be an upgrade. Like, mm-hmm. that's that, that's just a realistic kind of assessment of where things are at. Uh, if Alex This is Smith, the Broncos' problem right here. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. It honestly If it is. doesn't work in year one, let's just change it up and, you know, have all these young kids have a new system and new coordinator every single year, and then we wonder why it doesn't work. You, you sound like me. That's oh, no, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's so predictable and so ridiculous. Like they, They've changed oh offensive coaches every single year until this year. Yeah. So, yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's not a surprise that Drew Locke had all the issues he did last year. He's been in like three different systems. And, I think and he had a bunch of systems. Have a new coordinator every time, every year. It's ridiculous. Like it is. who is supposed to be able to do that? And, and I think, but, but so just from, I agree with you. So I just have to ask this because again, you, you know more about Alex yeah. than, I, than most of us do on this side of it. Do you think he'd be a good fit for the locker room? Like as a, like if he was to be acquired, I think so from what I know of him, but I've only seen, you know, what I've seen, what I've read of your work. And oh, there's no, there's no better guy in the locker room. That's his, he's a, he's a good quarterback, but he's an even better guy. Like he is the perfect mentor, leader, everything. I mean, you, there's not, I've never heard one person speak a bad thing about Alex Smith, you know, and that's, Usually in the NFL, you're going to find one person who will talk dirt about somebody that's never about Alex Smith. Um, Pat Mahomes loves him. Kaepernick loves him. Like um, all the guys here loved him. Like he's whether he's available or not is yeah. He's under contract for two years, and his contract is a bear. Um, I don't know that he has trade value. Really, this is no disrespect to Alex, but. You know, the injuries are a concern. He obviously came back from the really brutal one in 2018, um, but he has drop foot. And, you know, there, you know, I'm no doctor. I certainly don't know the full extent of the anatomy of his lower right leg after everything. Um, but he, he's obviously their most successful starter since 2018. Um, and what he does for the young guys is just remarkable. I mean, they, they follow him. He is that guy. 
Um, but can he play more than four games? That's the question. I mean, he dealt with, they labeled it a, a calf injury. It was more a bone bruise, come to find out. Um, but it was in that same leg. Mm -hmm. um, so while it was separate from the other injury, you know, healing from it is a little bit different because his whole leg is new down there. You know, it's he's got muscle from the other leg, muscle that doesn't function. It's it's a different, you know, mm -hmm. different deal. Um, so like, you know, by the end, he 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 couldn't evade pressure like he couldn't get out of the way quick enough um mm. you know he he knew he knows the offense better than anybody but his body couldn't keep up with his mind and that's where you worry now i do think he's he can recover from that injury obviously but sustainability is the question i mean nobody's going to work harder than this guy you know he's going to be 37 next year and he'll be in the best shape of anybody in that locker room but Father time Right. Can he, and, you know, with a reconstructed leg more than anything, that's yeah. really the biggest issue is, um, well, can it keep up? Well, and I think that in, in that way, I feel like Alex Smith kind of relates to Peyton and the fact that like, I don't think Peyton, like, I think Peyton could have played like from a mental standpoint, Peyton could still play. But like after the surgery with his neck, I just think his body, like his body had a shorter shelf life at that point in an NFL yeah. system than like the Tom Brady's, Drew Brees, like all these other guys anymore. Like it just, that's what happens after that kind of surgery. It just changes everything. And I, I get the, I'm, you know, this is, I haven't talked to Alex directly about oh, yeah, this. Yeah. So this is all just speculation, really. But I mean, he's in peak shape outside of that leg. Yeah. You know, where I, I, I think Peyton was pretty banged up. Oh, um, yeah. I remember in like one of the Super Bowl pressers, he pretty much admitted that he's going to need like, you know, both hips replaced at some point. Um, yeah, and, but I, and Alex is in phenomenal shape. It's just you know, and I guess I, I, because I, I don't want to be, I, I, I'm not saying that I think Alex Smith is done. I'm, I'm necessarily mm -hmm. saying that like, I think that the fact that his leg had that surgery, like, it's always going to be a question for the rest of his career, and sure. like, yeah. and so for that, you have to, you, yeah, and, and I'm sure he does. So it's just one of those things that like, at the same time, I saw him, I watched him, I've, and again, I've kept up with your work, kept up with other people's work. Like, mm -hmm. if he becomes available, I think he's like the kind of perfect bridge going forward if the Broncos were to acquire him either for Drew Locke or for whatever they're doing next that's why I'm interested because I again I think a lot yeah. of and I've and I've read enough about yeah. him that I think a lot of them um the other it, he's a heck of a guy you're not gonna find a better um mentor leader and when healthy he's still a viable starter when healthy um we saw that I mean there were times where like oh my gosh he almost looks better than he did you know before the injury like but you know that's the health is, is the critical piece for him, no doubt. Definitely. The ownership stuff is an open question. Um, and mm -hmm. I think George, like George Payton was just hired. And for me, what made it really present to me that the ownership is such a big question, he signed a six-year deal. And like Mike Kliss even said afterwards that a big part of him wanting the six-year deal was that stability that if a new owner comes in, cans him, he has that financial stability of he signed the deal. Um, and again, I know that you're not covering it every day anymore. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't want to like, kind of like put you on the spot with that. But my understanding is, and I guess just for our listeners is the trust as of now, there's a lawsuit against the trust that when Pat Boland signed it, he was not in full mental capacity because of Alzheimer's. And so that's what's going before court in July to determine. They're I not guess, suing the trust. Okay. Um, and so, thank you. That's, this is why yeah. I'm having 
So it's complicated. It um, is complicated. I have read your piece and I'm still kind of confused. Yeah. So the team is held within a trust. Um, even if they were to name, you know, Beth or Brittany controlling owner, the team would still remain in a trust. It's that that one family member would control all the family shares, but the actual team would stay in the trust. Awesome. And now if they sell it, it goes to a, a certain, you know, individual or people um, with one person having at least 30% to be controlling owner. Um, now that the lawsuits, um, that is one of them. There's been like at least five, I think probably more. Um, but that is between the two eldest daughters, um, Beth and Amy against yep. the trustees and the daughters claim their father was incapacitated at the time his, his trust was, um, revoked and rewritten, um, and that it, it should be invalidated as a result. Um, there are a number of other legal questions that have come up along the way, mm -hmm. you know, such as what constitutes its incapacity for trust. And I was like a lot of, a lot of, you know, inside baseball type things for, um, that could set new precedents in, in Colorado law, but, um, that's the heart of the dispute is, was their father capable and did he know fully know what he was changing his, you know, trust to be when he did so. Um, and the trustees contend he was a, a full mind and knew exactly what he was doing. So that's, that's the whole thing. Ultimately, here's the, this is the bottom line. The family cannot agree. They cannot even have dinner together to agree. So how are they going to run a $3 billion franchise? Even if one person has control of the shares, what's going to stop the other family members from continuing to sue the other family members? It's just a recipe for disaster. There's no way this family, in my opinion, this is my, just my opinion. There's no way this family can, um, you know, run this team as an ownership group. And if there's discord, you got to sell it, you know, it's because the, the trust is, is set up. So you, you know, individual parties can't sell their individual shares and be like, Oh, you know, you know, one of the children can't say, no, I'm out. I don't want to do this. I don't want to answer to Beth or Brittany or something like that. You know, it, it's, it's all in the trust and one person has control. So it's all or nothing. And if they don't all agree, then you got to sell. And, and that's, that's my opinion. And that's, well, no, and that's where I think it's, that that's one of the reasons why I had to pick your brain on it because uh, over no in November, uh, the NFL basically said that they now are going to have the authority to issue fines if a team fails to comply with the league rule mandating that one person holds the minimum amount of equity. And so they want one controlling owner. And the way the trust is set up, from my understanding, is it calls for approximately a 75% split to be split equally among the seven children from two different marriages. Right? Yes, but it would be one. And there's different rules for trust ownerships. Like within okay. a family ownership, the you know the controlling owner needs only five percent, which every children would have, every child would have anyway. So that's not the issue. There would okay. be one controlling owner if a family member was appointed that controlling owner, and they would have control over the shares. Okay. Now the the NFL has always mandated one individual be a controlling owner of every team. This has always been the case. What is new is that Fidel now has the authority to enforce it. Um, you know, with the, with these fines, but it it should have been enforced anyway because that 
that's the rule. And the fact of the matter is this is um, the team has kind of gone with it, not kind of, it has gone without a controlling owner mm -hmm. for more than seven years now. So they need to find some sort of resolution at the top. And it doesn't look like they're any closer to finding one within the family since there's still discord and it's still in the courts. I mean, that's the biggest obvious sign to me. They're still suing each other. Um, so well, I just think it needs to be sold. So this is my speculation is that it's slowly moving along towards eventually being sold because uh, one of the ones, one of the things that came up recently is that the estate no longer has the right of first refusal to any potential sale. I don't know how tied in that is to the actual, the family. The Kaiser is. estate. Yep. Yeah, yep. they're suing but, the Kaiser estate. But my understanding of it then was then basically the Kaiser estate can't have any sort of problem if the Bolins decide to sell it. That's like in lane. The term. trustees decide to sell yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or anybody decides to sell it if they decide to give the Bol the Bolin children. Um, but, but yeah, the, I mean, that's, the Kaiser that's can't, one thing. I just can't to, stop it now, is my. Okay. Yeah, that's one that's one like, you know, I guess preventative measure they wanted to go through because they they have to sell the team. It's just that's, that's you know, I, I think you know, whether it was Brittany or Beth, I'm sure that each individual is would be great as a controlling owner. It's nothing against either of them personally. It's it's the discord within the family. And, you know, the it, it's caused trouble for the team. And like, I, I know at the beginning when I started covering it, so many people were like, "Why we don't care. We don't need to know this. Well, five years later, when the team is still in disarray and you're like, oh, maybe it starts at the top. <laughs> yeah, you do need to know this. It's important. It's not as, you know, sexy as what's going on on the field. But, you know, this is, this is the state of the franchise right now. And they have to get that one person, um, that one leader, there and it, it becomes harder and harder to you know find an individual who has the kind of capital that these nfl teams are worth anymore um but i i i've heard that nfl has you know a, a pre-vetted list of billionaires that they deem all qualified and you know capable of running an nfl team so they you know have a ready-made list of i believe you but doesn't that sound so insane people? Like I like yes, I ninety percent of what the NFL does. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But no, I and that's one of those things though. Like when when you first reported it, I I poured over it. I read it twice over because again, I I thought it was a huge deal because again, like the ownership questions trickle down to everything. And so I know that you got probably a lot of blowback at the time. I remember you getting a lot of blowback at the time. But that I appreciate you covering it, and I appreciate you doing like. Throughout the time you were in Denver, what I thought, and again, like I, I gave you crap sometimes, and I apologize because sometimes I'm kind of a dick. No, I'm but 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 like the thing I always respect about you, and I still respect about you, is like you're a journalist covering it. Like you're covering what fans need to know. It isn't always necessarily what we want to hear. It's what is actually happening, yeah. and that and that yeah. showed in the way you cover the ownership stuff. And I just, I I like I appreciate it so. I hope well, our listeners. You. I appreciate that. I I learned a lot. I thought it was important, and yeah, it's not always sunshine and rainbows covering that. But I do think it's people need to. I know. think fans have the right to know. You know, they've invested a lot of their money into this team. You know, they they're some of the most loyal fans in the league. They show up every single weekend. You know, they deserve to know what's going on with this team. You know, when they're putting their hard earned money into you know, just to be able to watch these guys play, to see a good product on the field. Um, 
you know, and you think about the, you know, the, the amount the city helped out with, with the stadium too. I think it's, this should all be public knowledge. You know, it's unfortunate that, you know, a lot of the family's personal interactions and a lot of the stuff that Pat Bowen was dealing with health wise has to come out as a result. But, um, you know, he, he, I remember one of his quotes was that, you know, this is, this team belongs to the fans. This is the public's team. Um, so this is unfortunately par for the course. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Uh, Thank you for having me.